So today, I want to continue speaking kind of in the vein that we've been talking over the past number of weeks. Um, We've been studying about God's requirements to be a true follower of Him. And uh, God has requirements to be a true follower of Him, just so we know. And uh, Larry, can I have my slides, please? And today I want to talk about accountability. So before I talk about it, let me ask a question. Is it okay to think that God requires something from you? Is it okay to think that? Because if you don't think it's okay to think that, then I better I might as well not even preach. <laughs> I, might, I might as well not even teach. If you think, if you have a mindset that who is God to require anything of me, then maybe we need to talk about something else. God certainly has every right to require something of us. We talked about the importance of being a committed and active member of a local church a couple of weeks ago. And when we're a part of a local church, that makes up the bigger church, the church with a capital C, the church actually that Jesus is coming back for. Do you know that Jesus is coming back for other churches besides Centerpoint? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, because otherwise heaven's going to be a pretty lonely place. I hope that Jesus is coming back for a big church. And we, as a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, we're part of the big church with a capital C. But it's important for you and I to be actively involved in the little church that we're a part of so that we can be a part of the bigger church. Because if I'm a lone ranger out doing it by myself without being a part of a church, let me ask the question, are you a part of the big church then? I don't know the answer to that necessarily. But if we're not part of a little church, meaning that if we're not part of a body of believers, then how effective can we be in the kingdom if we're just doing it on our own the way we want to do it? Accountability. We're going to be talking about that today. We also talked about the importance of of developing and maintaining a consistent and a persistent prayer life. Four big words. First, you've got to develop it. First, you have to develop it. Then you have to maintain it. And they have to be consistent. And God loves persistent prayers. The Bible says the prayers of a right, the, the fervent prayers. James says it in chapter 5. The fervent prayers of a righteous man are effectual. Not just the prayers I throw up. Not just the prayers in my complacency I throw up to God when I'm having a lunch or dinner or something. Even though that's good too. I'm not saying don't do that. But it's the prayer, the, the effective and the prayers that really are effective in the kingdom are those that are done persistently and consistently with fervency because fervency indicates you believe and you trust and you have faith connected to them. Then last week we talked about the necessity of listening very closely to the truth that we have already heard so that you don't drift away. How easily we can drift away when we're negligent. How easily we can drift away when we're too comfortable. 
if I'm comfortable, then I'm not so sure that I'm effective because when I'm comfortable, I get lazy. And I tend to be getting negligent. So I'm not against being comfortable. I just want to warn us that when we get comfortable, be careful that we don't get negligent. And we don't get complacent. Because with complacency and negligence, I have a tendency to drift away from God. That's just the human spirit. Can I just be honest with you? And I say that because that's the way I am. And maybe you're like me in some of these areas too, right? That if I get too comfortable then I can become too negligent, or I can become drifter. I can become a drifter. So today, I want to concur, I want to continue to encourage us. These are encouraging messages, by the way. They're not down-speaking messages. They're encouraging messages for all of us to come to be a better person in Christ. So today, I want to talk to us and encourage us in the terms of being accountable. Being accountable, and why is it so important in our Christian life? Now, the text that I'm using today is, you may not think this is an accountability text, but it is as we work through it. And I love this text, Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who has endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that passage, and we're going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks. Let's pray first. Father... I thank you for your mercies and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you are faithful and you are never changing. I thank you, Lord, that you're accountable to your promises. And, Lord, as we speak about accountability today, that we would be accountable to our promises back to you. And I pray that you would just educate us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, this is one of my go-to passages. Whenever I'm needing some encouragement, there's just something about the whole chapter of 12 of Hebrews that encourages me. And uh, we're going to spend we're going to be spending some time over the next few weeks working our way through some of the nuggets of godly truth in this passage. But today I want to talk about Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. All right. Accountability. Accountability. God designs the Christian walk to be accountable. God designs us to be accountable. And why is it important to be accountable? And to whom are we to be accountable? And what are we accountable to be for? And here's the biggest one. Why is it hard to be accountable? These are some good questions, and I hope that we'll be able to address them to a degree today. So going back to our text, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses that we're talking about? For us to better understand who these are, we need to understand 
the context of this passage. And to understand the context, when it says, therefore, we have to go back to the chapter prior to, to find out why we say, therefore, now. So we have to look at chapter 11. And chapter 11 of Hebrews is known as the faith chapter. This is a chapter that describes many of the Old Testament saints that were the heroes of the Jewish people of the day. These were the people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the rest of the Old Testament believers that were looking forward with great faith to the coming of the Messiah. All these people lived with faith, but yet they all died in their faith without seeing the Messiah come to pass. All of these people lived to the end of their life and never saw their prayers answered, never saw the faith that they held to answered because they were they died before the Messiah came. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So why are these people being commended for something they never received? Or they never saw come to pass? You see, these Old Testament saints were commended for their accountability to their faith. You don't think they had questions? You don't think they had, they wondered when and why God has given all these promises, but yet nothing's happening in their life? I mean, Abraham wandered in the desert, and they had all kinds of things in opposition that come, come against them, and so did all of the Old Testament saints. But yet they were commended because they held strong, they were accountable to their faith. It's in, and it's in this context that we then can go into chapter 12 of Hebrews, and now we are calling them the witnesses that surround us in our race and our faith. So what does accountability mean and look like in our life as we want our, as we run our race? What's it look like? How important is accountability in our lives? And why does the enemy hate it? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that the enemy hates accountability. So let's talk about that one first because that's the easy one. Why does the enemy hate accountability? Do you know what temptation is? Has anyone here ever been tempted? (laughs) Trick question, right? When you're tempted to do wrong, do you do it openly where everybody can see the wrong that you do? Or do you do it in the secret where no one knows about it? At least you don't think they know about it. See, doing sinful things in secret keep us from having to be accountable for the sins that we're doing. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21 John said it this way, this is the verdict. (laughs) This is the verdict. That's a pretty strong word. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly by what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. I just want to let you know that God sees everything, whether you realize it or not. You cannot go and you're not, you cannot hide from God. You know, it's an interesting thing. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and after they sinned, Adam and Eve felt guilt, right? So what did they do? They hid themselves from God. And God comes into the a garden that afternoon and he says, Adam, where are you? You don't think God knew where Adam was? Do you think the creator of the world couldn't play hide-and-seek with Adam and find him in the bushes? No, he knew. God clearly knew where Adam was. But when he said, Adam, where are you? He was asking the question for Adam. Adam, do you know where you're at? Adam, do you think, really, you're going to get away with this by hiding in the bushes? And yet, how many times do we do that? How many times do we fall to temptation and then hide from God thinking we're going to get away from this because my wife doesn't know about it? Or my boss doesn't know that I did that or didn't do that. I mean, how many times do we find ourselves thinking we're going to get away with something? But what's interesting is just prior to this passage is probably the most famous and most memorized passage in the whole Bible. So let's skip back two verses. John three sixteen and 17, and we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We like that verse, don't we? We like that verse because in that we see God's plan for mankind, that God is coming to save us. But unfortunately... That's as far as many people get. This is the feel good about me part of this passage. And that many people never get beyond it or don't want to go beyond the fact they want to feel good about themselves. So they're thinking that God didn't come to condemn them. No, God came to save them. Hey, so let's go party. Because God came to save me. He's not condemning me. He came to save me. But we have to read the verse that's sandwiched between John 3.16 and the one we just read, John 3.19, that said the verdict, right? Now, you can't read this right now, so let me pull verse 18 out for you. This is verse 18, the one sandwiched between 16 and 17 and 19, right? So John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So here we have the verse that brings us to accountability. Yes, Jesus came to save us, but I have to be accountable for that salvation to be effective. Believing is more than just a mental assent of believing in God. It's moving from a head belief in who Jesus is, and now it's recognizing that we have sin in our life, and that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God, and that he has paid the debt of sin, and I have to 
receive him as my savior. And when that settles into my heart, then I have a relationship with God. That's the accountability section of this passage that makes John 3, 16 and 17 so valuable because I have to be accountable to my sin. This is a conscious choice that requires accountability of who I really am. When I recognize the fact that I need to be accountable before a righteous and holy God, then God's sacrifice through Jesus is effective. But until I'm accountable for my sin, then there's really not a lot Jesus' blood can do for me because I'm not applying it properly. Does that make sense? This is the accountability that Satan and my flesh man hates. You see, we don't want to be called out in our sin, do we? We like it when we're the boss of our own life and we can call the shots. You know, there's this thing about judgment that people will go back to. They'll say, well, you aren't to judge me. You're not my judge. And probably that's correct. I am not your judge. God is your judge. However, that's really speaking to the world because the world is already judged, right? But a person that is professing to be a follower of Christ, that is a professing Christian, then I have an obligation to judge. I have a right to judge. But I'm not judging in a way that's condemning them. I'm judging in a way to help hold them accountable, in a way that would help them in their Christian walk. You see, judgment goes something like this. If I walked up to you, Mark, and said, you know, you're a great guy. I, I just think you're really great. You know, I like the way you treat your wife. I just like the way you hold your study and your job. You're just a great guy. Your natural reaction would be to say, well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Don't get, you're, you're getting ahead of the game, brother. But, but if I walked up to you and said, Mark, you know, I love you. You know that I love you, right? But I've noticed some things in your life that really, I'm not sure. Are you okay? How's your walk? You doing okay? Can I help you with something? Or I've seen something in your mark that, you know, that doesn't look right. Many times our natural reaction is to say, wait a second. Who are you to judge me? You know, just mind your own business. I'm doing fine, thank you. But in the reality, what did I just do there? I judged you twice. The first time I said, Mark, you're doing great. Second time I said, Mark, it doesn't look like you're doing so great. The first time you accepted that judgment because you liked it. Because it fed your ego. Because it said, I'm the boss, and you like being the boss. And I said, hey, you're doing a great job. You know what? If you were consistent about that, you should have said, wait, wait, wait. Who are you to say I'm good? Who are you to say that I'm good? I'm offended you judge me thinking I'm good when I'm not good. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? In a way, didn't Jesus do that? The young rich ruler walked up to him and he said, good teacher, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And one of the Gospels says it this way. Jesus says, wait, wait, who are you to call me good? Only God is good. So in a way, Jesus was was showing us how how to reflect on judgment. 
You see, and if I'm really going to be accountable to you as a brother in Christ, then I need to be accountable to you in the things that are not always easy. And let me say this too, that if you are called out, or let me say it this, if God deals with you to call someone out, or to go to someone about maybe a sin in their life, let me just give you a little warning. If it doesn't hurt you to say it, then don't say it. Because sometimes we like judging people. Sometimes we like to go to someone and call out how bad they are because it makes us look better. See, that's the wrong motive. But if it grieves my heart, if I'm broken inside because I've seen some sin maybe that needs to be talked about, and if it's hard for me to do it, if it hurts me to have to go say, Mark, ah, it hurts me to say this, then say it. Because maybe it's the right thing to say at that time because it's in the right context and it's the right mode. But if I feel good in saying it, then don't say it because you're not the right person to. Somebody else will. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying on that? Don't do it if it makes you feel better about yourself. Because that's the wrong motivation. And that's not true in telling truth in love. Telling truth in love hurts you to say it. Because the truth hurts. And it hurts when you give it and it hurts when you receive it. But you know it's the right thing to do. See, the only way that we really know when and if we're saved is when we're held accountable to the choices that we make. The only time that you really know you're saved is when you know that you're held accountable to the choices that you make. Salvation is way too easy, it seems, by many, by the way many people explain it. Because if we can't hold ourselves accountable, then we're probably not really saved because it's gonna hurt a little bit. Because we're living in a hostile environment. Because our flesh man is hostile towards God. And if it, if it doesn't cause me a little grief, if it doesn't cause me a little strain, a little stress, then probably I'm not really doing the things that would be considered salvation. I'm doing things that would give me a false sense of security. And we talked about that man last week being the carnal Christian. The man that professes but not really lives according to God's word. The carnal Christian isn't really looking for accountability. He's just wanting a feel-good message. And this is where many people, personally, and many religious leaders and organizations fall short. From a personal perspective, you see, it's hard to hold oneself accountable to something that they really like to do, but know it's wrong. It's hard to hold yourself accountable to something that you like to do, but you know it's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Can you think of some things in your life that you know it's the not the right thing to do? Maybe it's not the right thing even just for your own physical nature. I love to overeat, but I know it's not good for me, right? I love to do whatever. It may not be moral. It may be perfectly fine, or it may be immoral. You know, it, it talks about that porn site. You know, whatever. It gives you pleasure in the moment, 
you know it's wrong, but it's hard to hold yourself accountable to it. And so what do we do? A lot of times we'll just pull the rug over it. Or from a religious leader perspective or a church perspective or a denomination perspective, whatever, they don't want to offend someone in their church or in their sphere of influence because it might cause them to leave their church. It might offend someone. They may not give their money to their church or they may not be their friend anymore. So in both cases, it's too easy to be tempted to turn our eyes from the things that are done in secret and let them go unnoticed rather than bring them into the light to be accounted for. Boy, there's a lot of truth there. We're on a journey, aren't we? And we know what the enemy's about. Recognize this, that Satan knows your weaknesses. And he knows how to hit you in the spot where it hurts the most. He knows when a married couple is fighting and perhaps not getting along right now. And he knows how easy it is to bring the temptation to say, you know, there's a woman, there's a man down the road that would really love you more than your wife. They or she, he or she would never treat you that way. Satan knows that. He knows when you're struggling in that area. He knows when things aren't going well at work. And he knows just where all the local drinking establishments are between work and home. Go bury your your problems in alcohol. He knows that. He knows how tempting it is to do that. He also knows when money is tight for you and things that how easy it is to pick up that whatever it is and that would help you in your financial situation. Maybe cheat in your taxes a little bit. Or maybe steal that little thing from your boss that, oh, he'll never miss it. You know what I'm talking about. These are just common sins, common temptations. But we know better. And when we know what's right and wrong, we need to be accountable to that. We need not let our flesh man detect, uh, uh, direct us to do the things that we know are wrong because it's the easy thing to do and nobody's going to know about it. So let me ask the question, why is it so important that we're accountable? You see, if Satan can keep us from personal accountability, he can keep us captive in a trap of denial and deception. And denial and deception are two of the hardest things to get out of because when a person is deceived... They don't know they're deceived. When, when deception really settles into a person, it's really hard to get out because when you're deceived, you're deceived. And if you're not deceived and still doing it, then can I just say you're plain stupid? <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it, that's the part of deception, that it's hard because you don't know you're deceived. You think you're doing right, but the devil is very good at his subtleness and he will keep denial and deception and we and then we're bound and we're sealed for for punishment. So so where do you do? What what do you do and where do you go for help? This is why we need to know that Satan our mortal enemy hates accountability. He hates it. And when we know what the enemy hates, it should help us understand what God loves more. 
when I know that Satan hates something, then I should be able to, that should be a trigger for me that I should, when I know he hates it, then why would I want to give into it? Why would I want to do anything that pleases him because he hates accountability? So why would I want to hold myself unaccountable when I know that Satan, that's what he wants me to do? Because he hates accountability. So I want to give you an example of a godly man that allowed himself to be taken out of his realm of accountability. And he was a king. It's an Old Testament man, King David. We all know the story of how King David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. King David. And I'm not going to take the time to go into the story, but I just want to read the opening line in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Because this sets the story. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, we may not think that to be an obvious thing or a problem, but David should have been with his troops. David, in the spring, is when the time that kings, did you notice that? When kings go off to war, not kings' men go off to war. David should not have stayed in Jerusalem. He should have been with his men. But because he stayed at home in the palace, he was away from his men and those that would hold him accountable. And in his alone time, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop in the evening, and she was beautiful, and temptation set in. And because he lost his accountability partners, he gave in to that temptation. And we know the story. There's a whole sermon that could be written about not being in the place where you should be at the time that you should be there. Think about this for a minute. How many times, how many times do you find yourself in trouble when you knew you were in a place you shouldn't have been? One of the areas of accountability in a person's life is being accountable to the places they do life in. Think about this for a minute, because this is big for us today. If I choose to do life in places that I know I shouldn't be in, I'm setting myself up for a lot of hurt. I think this is especially important, considering the influence today that social media plays in our lives. How much time do we spend on YouTube and on Facebook and on Twitter and other places in social media? How easy is it when you're searching your things, how many pop-ups do you get that would take you down a rabbit hole? And all of a sudden, you're not being accountable to yourself and you start chasing that rabbit. And the next thing you know, where are you? You're either in a porn site someplace or you're in somebody's gossip session. Both are wrong. How easy is it for us to get in trouble when we allow ourselves to live in places we shouldn't be there and we know we shouldn't be there? And you can say, well, listen, I only use Facebook for for, for ministry. Well, okay, I do, I do. I mean, I put our, our messages online, I do that. But I don't spend a lot of time other than that on there. I purposely know where that would take me. So I don't go there and take a lot of those, what do they call them, reels? 
Now, some of them are kind of funny. I get that. But, you know, it can be a real waste of time real quick. Or it can take me down a place I shouldn't think about. So I challenge us, myself included, I challenge us to be careful about where you do life. Because if you're in a place that you shouldn't be, don't be surprised when the atmosphere of that place rubs off on you and you're not doing what you know you should be doing. It affects your relationship with the Lord. You see, now maybe King David had the attitude that because he was the king, he didn't need to be held accountable for where he spent his time or what he allowed himself to look at. After all, he is the king. I mean... He didn't answer to anybody besides God. But he didn't answer to anybody. There was no man. But obviously, from, King's sto- from, from David's story, even kings make bad choices <laughs> left to themselves. Here's the deal. See, the enemy doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care about your position. In fact, maybe he cares even more when you're a leader Because if he can make the leader fall, he can impact a lot more people. Pastor, watch out. Me, watch out. I understand that. How many pastors have we seen fallen with immorality and sin that have destroyed churches and families because the leader fell? Worship leader, watch out. Teacher, watch out. Work boss, watch out. I'm just saying, in leadership, you, you put an, a bigger target on your back. So knowing that we're in a battle against the forces of evil, we should want as much help to gather people around us as we can get. If we're smart, this would mean that we would make ourselves accountable to somebody, even if I'm the boss. Even if I'm the pastor, I need to make myself accountable to other people. I appreciate having Pastor Rip here because I can hold myself accountable with Pastor Rip and vice versa. And that's why I like being a part of the Assemblies of God. I like being a part of a bigger organization because I can hold myself accountable. When I have issues or questions, I can call Pastor Brad and other friends, pastor friends, that I can say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with this. What do you think? But it's really important that we don't allow ourselves to become isolated pridefully thinking that we are above Satan's temptations or beyond reach, because when I get that point, it makes me even more vulnerable. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, says, If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. In other words, hey, I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, and so does Billy Graham, did Billy Graham, and so does every other big TV evangelist or anybody else. So we're all the same flesh and blood. We all face temptations. Don't let the enemy mislead you into thinking that you're something special and above the possibility of falling into sin because when you do, you're prime for pride, and pride is a huge sin, probably the worst. See, the Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual battle, not a battle of flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, and we all know this passage, for we do not, verses, beginning of verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, we're living in Satan's territory. He owns this planet, yet it was given to him by Adam and Eve. Yes, Jesus conquered him at the cross. Jesus took away the sin. He went in and he took back the keys of death. But yet, Satan still lives. And he's still here. And he's still doing his task as long as he can until... Jesus comes back in the second coming and throws him into the pit. Now that's a ways off yet because we've got to go through the rapture first and the seven years of tribulation. And then after that, then Jesus will come back to establish his a thousand year millennial reign. And at that point, he'd throw Satan in a pit and Satan will then have no more realm or effect on the earthly realm for a thousand years. But that's a whole nother topic. But we're in a spiritual battle and the only way we fight this spiritual battle is by putting on the spiritual armor and using spiritual weapons to defeat the enemy. We will not do this physically. Go down to the next verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It says, therefore, again, go to the verse before, talked about that we are in a spiritual battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, listen, not if, the the day of evil comes, put on the spiritual armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. Accountability. Accountability. Put on your your spiritual armor. It's a spiritual battle. I'm not going to win this on my own flesh man. My flesh man will give in in a heartbeat. And here's the reality of it, guys. Sometimes we need brothers and sisters in Christ to help us put on our armor. Sometimes we need an armor bearer to come alongside of us and say, hey, let me strap that shield of faith on a little bit stronger. Let me put that breastplate of righteousness on because it seems to be falling off a little bit. Let me tighten it up. Your helmet of salvation is kind of crooked. (laughs) Let me straighten it out for you. Let me sharpen that sword of the Spirit for you a little bit. See, sometimes we need a little help to put on our spiritual armor. And it's not a show of weakness to ask for help. I just want you to know that. It's not a show of weakness when you come to a brother and sister and say, I am really struggling on this. I am really battling here right now. I've got this spirit of pornography. I've got this spirit of alcohol. I've got this spirit of drugs. I've got this spirit of deception. I've got this spirit of discouragement. I need some help putting on my spiritual armor. It's not a show of weakness. It's actually understanding that you're accountable to them and you need some help. That's why being part of a local church is so important. Because when we are part of a local church, we're around people that we can trust. I trust you. You come to this church on a regular basis, I trust you. And you can trust those sitting in the seat next to you. But if you're not in the seat next to you, then who are people going to trust? If you're not in the church on a regular basis, then you're not only hurting yourself, but you're a big hole in a church that people need because somebody needs to trust you and you're not there. 
Now, I'm talking to you that are here, right? I'm not down-talking to you. I'm not, I know that. But there's other people out there that are listening. And maybe even I need to hear it every once in a while, too, just to remind myself, well, I need to be here. For times like this, knowing that we have a coming time when men would need to stand together to face a common enemy, the writer of Proverbs says, twenty in verse twenty, chapter twenty-seven, verse seventeen, he says, "As arpen, as arpen, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend." I love that. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now, what is a countenance? A countenance is a look or an expression of encouragement or moral support. When was the last time that you had a friend call you just to ask how you were doing? When was the last time somebody texted you or Facebooked you or messaged you or something and said, Hey, just thinking about you, how you doing? And when was the last time that you called a friend? Or texted a friend and said, Hey, you know what? I just was my prayer time and I just you just came across my mind. Just want to see how you're doing. Try that sometime. I mean, when you're praying and the Lord drops a name on you, maybe you haven't talked to that person in a while, then stop what you're doing right then, get out your phone and give them a text. Say, hey, just thinking about you, how you doing? Everything all right? And it's amazing how if you do that, you'll find yourself being used by the Holy Spirit because that person needed something right then and there. And you were the person that answered the call. Encouragement. We need that. We need moral support from our friends. And sometimes when we don't do that, those are the missing ingredients in our fight against Satan. Maybe we just need encouragement. You see, being accountable to one another can provide those missing ingredients. The writer of Hebrews sums it up, talking about being a part of the local church and being a part of an encouragement. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, he says, And let us consider, <laughs> let us think about this, right? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And here's the thing, and all the more as we see the day approaching. What is the day? Why do they capitalize the D in day here? Yeah, the, the last day. All the more as we are living in the last days, as we're approaching the day of Jesus' return, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming of the Lord, it's all part of that day. The more, the closer we get to that day, the more we need to encourage each other. The more accountability I need. This is not the time to be a lone ranger. This is not the time to say, I've, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of church. I'm tired of being part of the local body. I'm just going off on myself. I'm just gonna, I'm just going off on myself. This is not the time to do that. I'll tell you why. Because when you do that, you are a target. All by yourself. And the devil will hit those targets all the time, and he doesn't miss. You might be able to survive for a while, or think you're surviving for a while, 
But you get yourself off alone as a lone ranger and you don't need people. You don't need a church. You don't need godly teaching. You don't need brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't need worship. You don't need prayer. You don't need this stuff because you're tired of it, because there's too many hypocrites in the church, so I'm bailing out. A recipe for disaster. You are a duck sitting on a quiet pond for the enemy to draw his bow on and take you out in a minute. You need people. We are social people. We are not designed to live alone. Physically nor spiritually. Know this. Satan is very patient. And he will let a person spin a web of deception and self-denial so tightly around them that they will never get out of it on their own. You see, Satan doesn't really care what you do today. He's a long-term thinker. He thinks about eternity. And he doesn't want you to be with Christ in heaven. He wants you to suffer in the pit of hell with him. Because he knows where ultimately that's, that's where he's going, even though he's lying to himself that he thinks he, he thinks he can still defeat God. He's so, you know, he's so smart he's stupid. I, I don't understand him. But I know he's patient. And I know he's diligent. And I know he is very persistent. And I know that he is just looking for those that are alone because he will get them and he'll tie them up so tight. But let me tell you some good news, too. God is patient. In fact, God is more patient. And he's more powerful. And he's more faithful than Satan ever could be. God is faithful to forgive. But here's some of the hardest things, and I feel so bad for people sometimes, because, yes, God can forgive, but I wish we could have stopped before they did the deed, because consequences still go with actions. Consequences still go with actions. You might have been forgiven, but yet God still have, you still have to go through some of the consequences of life, this, you know, life. And, you know, and that's a battle. That's a battle, and, and I wish we didn't have to. I wish the consequences would go, would, would go away as soon as we're forgiven. I wish all the consequences would go away, but actions and consequences go together. But forgiveness trumps. I will just say that. Forgiveness trumps, and that's where we need to learn how to forgive ourselves as God has forgiven us, release ourselves from the debt the way God has released us from the debt, and let the consequences be what they are, Learn to live above the consequences and live in the, in the, in the glory of God's forgiveness and in the promise of his future. Jackie, would you come please? So what did we get out of this today? I hope we got some good things out of it. Accountability to God's word and to each other is the key to a solid Christian life. Accountability to God's word and to each other is the key to a successful Christian life. But we have to ask for it, and we must be willing to accept it. Accountability is vital in the battle to overcome sin. So what do we do? Well, I would say this. I would recommend to everybody here, prayerfully, and I say prayerfully, 
seek out an accountability partner. Seek out someone that you trust and that make them someone that you're going to be accountable to. Talk to them. Ask them. Can I, can we and I, can you and I develop a relationship that I can trust you with my fears? Trust you with my weaknesses? Don't let the devil think you don't need this person or persons. See, an accountability partner can be there to encourage you, to rebuke you, to teach you, to rejoice with you, and to cry with you. Every Christian should have someone with whom they're accountable to. And it may be your spouse, but in some cases, maybe not. It should be someone of the same sex. Men don't find a woman accountability partner. Women find women. Men find men. Because sometimes men have deal with some things that another man would understand, but a woman wouldn't. And I'm not saying don't be dishonest with your wife. I'm not saying that. But it's okay, I think, to come to a man and say, I'm struggling in this area. I'm struggling in this in this thing here. Maybe I'm not being faithful to my wife in our finances. Maybe I'm holding something back. Uh, maybe I'm on a porn site too much. At, or at all. There's not there's no such thing as have a no, you need to be off the porn site. Not manage it, be off it. There are some things that we that you can't manage. Sexual sin, flee it. The Bible doesn't say manage sexual sin. It says flee it. Turn around and run away from it. Don't even look at it. Whatever you look at, you never forget. Just so you know, our mind is an amazing thing. The images that go into our eyes and get implanted on our brain, you never forget it. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Accountability. It's something that we all need in our life. Don't shirk it. Don't run away from it. Rather, seek it. You seek it, it'll be stronger for it. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. You are three in one. Therefore, you are accountable to each other. (laughs) And not to say that any one of you would sin, but yet you hold yourselves accountable because you are always in agreement with each other. And that's a model for us today, that we would also find ourselves needing to be accountable to you because none of us in our own right are strong enough to live this life alone. And I thank you that I have Christian brothers and sisters here that I can trust, that I can go to them, and I can say, would you help me? And I know they would. And I pray, God, that you will just bring accountability partners to your people, no matter how old we are or how young we are. Help us to know that it's okay to need help and to ask. And I pray, Father, that you would just give us victories in that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.